Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions for Colne Radio present From Colchester to Sulawesi a continuing dramatisation of their true story written by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 4 Back in England I doubt if a formula exists given an amount of wine drunk over a given period of time and the degree of potential disaster likely to arise from any given idea, which allows for the calculation of the likelihood of the idea coming to fruition. Too many variables come into play, I would think, such as the individuals having the idea, their state of mind, and so on. In any case, we return to England, to our idyllic 17th century cottage, and to our lives, more ordinary, and for the most part, successful careers. My work in the landscaping of the gardens around Colchester being oft-times sensitive to the vagaries of the British economy. We are, in terms of our work, very much a melding together of the public and private sectors. Job security and a career structure versus an inherent uncertainty, which is the lot of many small businesses, which may do well or not, depending on the year or the season and many other factors besides. In any event, a new element has now entered the equation of our lives, which is that we have, or will shortly have, bought a patch of jungle in Sulawesi. And the question which we must both now address is what we do with it. During occasional long-distance chats with Oni, we learn that all is going well in Bahowo. A land certificate has been issued to Aris. The land sale is proceeding, and via the Western Union we have sent money to Oni to transfer the certificate into his name. A financial commitment has been made from which there is no going back, so the only way now is forward. Amongst our families and friends, reactions to our buying land on foreign shores, and such distant and obscure foreign shores at that, are mixed, and range from, wow, that sounds like a brilliant idea, to, are you completely mad? We are both the youngest siblings, which I guess helps us to get away with our more outrageous schemes. And whilst Phil has an elder brother and sister, my one and only elder sister, Carol, is very nice about everything. But I suspect she sees the whole idea as being a harebrained, younger sister kind of deal, which will likely end in disaster. But, whew, that is another hurdle over. The prospect of telling Mummy, which, if I'm honest, I was quietly dreading, went much better than I could have imagined. Understatement. Mummy, at 79, whom I expected to be appalled when I told her, surprised me by being very enthusiastic about our plans. Being well-travelled herself, 
she can immediately see the advantage of a family home to retreat to in order to escape the British winters. Surely a holiday home in the Far East has to be an attractive pool to friends and family alike. Something else which helps to lessen the blow when discussing our plans with the family is that I'm permitted to take up to a two-year career break, returning after said two years to a position of the same grade if things don't work out, and Phil can suspend his business indefinitely. Carol's three children, Alex, Edward and Juliet, or Hattie, as she is affectionately known in the family, greet the whole idea with unabated enthusiasm. But then, at 13, 10 and 7 years old, life is one big adventure. The kids are used to coming on adventure holidays and weekends away with Phil, Buru and I in the West Country and in wildest Sussex. Not only to give mum and dad a break from the little darlings, but also because we love them dearly. Here we have taken extensive walks with them, climbing trees in dense forests, splashing in waterfalls along the way, and hunting for fossils during the day, then back to the cosiness of our hired log cabin to regale them in the evenings with tales of the head-hunting tribes of Borneo, an island in which we have travelled extensively. Oh, such very happy times with our borrowed children, and now they have become convinced that Uncle Phil is going to live with the headhunters. He did, after all, return one year with a seven-foot-long blowpipe, which the headman of a particular longhouse had given him as a parting gift, complete with darts. So he clearly has friends in interesting places. In order to negate any possible disappointment in this regard, I imbue them with a promise to take them to Tankoko National Park to show them not only the unique black macaques, but also the delightful little tarsier monkeys, the smallest in the world, whilst Phil promises to take them all scuba diving when they get a bit older, on some of the most spectacular coral reefs in the world. And with this, they are more than content. Got a lot to leave After all, I believe Bring me I've got nothing to lose Except everyone's blues Bring me Whiskey and wine If you're going over the line Bring me I've been counting my blessings Counting the crows Cause the older I get the faster it goes And I know Nobody knows So if you don't mind If you don't mind Next time On sensible evenings, involving only moderate alcohol consumption, the idea persists that we build a holiday home for ourselves to be used once or twice a year, which we could use as a base camp for further exploring Southeast Asia, 
And who knows, in due time, we may even come to live there, once we have enough invested money behind us to make this a viable option. During less sober evenings, the idea is mooted that we build something which allows for family and friends to visit and stay, and perhaps even for the accommodation of paying guests, so that at some time in the indefinite future, we could run the place as a business, perhaps employing a manager to oversee the venture in our absence. It is only on nights of heavy consumption of wine, however, where the oil is burned beyond midnight and thoughts and conversation lose their inhibition and are given free rein, that we bear our collective soul and get to the truth of it, which is that what we really want to do is to leave this life behind and move to our beloved tropics, and we will do so as soon as this becomes possible. How much money, after all, is enough money? Life is short, and how much longer are we prepared to wait? The cold light of morning tends to bring back a sense of perspective, but over the passing weeks the idea by degrees takes form, and in the end it will not be deformed or compromised. What we should do is to build a tourist lodge, and at some yet unspecified time we will take up permanent residence there. To work together is something we had never previously considered. How, after all, do you find mutual endeavour between a servant of Her Majesty's government and a landscape gardener? Two more disparate professions it is hard to imagine. The only way that this will be possible will be to do something which neither of us has the least idea how to do. And running a tourist lodge fits comfortably into this category. Still, for all our enthusiasm, doubt persists in both of our minds. There is now no doubt at all in my mind that what we are doing is the right thing. So we must turn our thoughts to practical matters. We need to talk to our architect friend Martin, who lives in a lovely location in the New Forest with his wife Jill and their daughter Alice. Good friends since my student days in Brighton, how many idyllic weekends have we spent together walking our dogs and enjoying the scenic beauty of this unique part of England? If we are going to build our lodge, we need to work out what kind of lodge we will build, and we will need plans to work from, so our first thought is that we should ask Martin. We phone him, and he agrees to at least discuss the idea with us. So we go to the New Forest, armed with a few photographs of the land to be built on, which, on reflection, aren't really very helpful at all, and a line drawing showing the position of the land in relation to the sea, the mountain, and so on. Four lines forming a rectangle on a piece of paper, which are the first physical manifestation of that which we now hope will be our future business and our future home. On our travels around North Sulawesi, it has struck us that there is nothing by way of accommodation between large impersonal four-star hotels, which are in any case very few in number, and very basic homestays with no air conditioning and often no running water. Our idea is therefore to create something between these two extremes where the rooms are air-conditioned and en suite, 
but where we can provide a personal service to all of our guests. The lodge, should we decide, would have four double or twin rooms and a family room, all with balconies, and should have a large kitchen, spacious lounge and dining areas, and a private place for us to live in. We spend long hours with Martin, and in the end, we all agree on a basic idea, which Martin has said he will turn into a working design for no charge, provided that he and Jill get a free holiday when it's all done. To this we agree, and another stage of our venture has begun to take shape, and it's becoming lodge-shaped. And we will hear more about Phil and Paula's adventures in Indonesia next time. Phil's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. (laughs) 